box for this thing. Um, it just goes to prove how short I actually am, uh, no doubt. But I wonder how did you hear on the internet recently, um, but a few months ago, about a man, uh, he'd been told that he was dying of cancer. Uh, doctors told him he didn't have long to live. So what he did was, before he was going to die, he gave away all his life savings. Now, that sounds like a very noble thing to do. It was a good choice to make. Uh, The only problem was, of course, it turned out that the man wasn't dying at all. The doctors had made a mistake. Uh, And, of course, true to our culture, the man is now, was at that stage, suing the doctors uh, because he gave away all his money after being misled. What seemed like a good choice to this man um, had turned out not to be so good after all. Having made a choice based on misinformation, the man now has no money to live the rest of his life. So really the decision, in a way, wasn't actually a very, very good one at all. And life can be a bit like that sometimes, very strange. Um, just how do we make the right decisions and the right choices? knowing that the choices and the decisions that we do make can have some very, very profound consequences. But thankfully, the Bible gives us help in discerning the choices to make. And to that end, let's look together at Psalm 1 and see what it teaches us. If you have your Bibles open, it will greatly help you. Um, I have uh, written this for the ESV translation. The NIV is similar. Some of the words slightly different, but just if it's there. Psalm 1 stands as a signpost, as a gateway into the book of Psalms. Probably it was placed there on purpose because of what it actually says. It could be referred to as a wisdom psalm, as it seeks to impart to us wisdom and understanding as we study the book and understand our life. It's a bit like a tourist attraction. We often see outside a tourist attraction, you see an information board. And the idea is you read what's on the information board so that when you actually look at the attraction, you know what you're looking at. Psalm 1 then stands here to give us information in order to understand what lies ahead, not just in the book of Psalms, but also information on how we might live. So we might say Psalm 1 gives us a biblical worldview wrapped up in one little piece of Hebrew poetry. So what does it teach us? Blessed is the man, the psalmist begins with. Now that's an interesting beginning. You might imagine that an introduction to the five books of Psalms should really begin with God. But here he begins with how we might be blessed. You see, the Psalms are a mixture of songs and prayers and meditations on the Christian life. They describe the experience of the people of God as they understand God and how they relate to Him in life. These pieces of poetry are written for Christians, the people of God. So the psalmist here begins with the question, as a child of God, how do I live the blessed life? Blessing here means more than happy. It's a state of contentment and in harmony with God and with life, you might say. Happiness is more a mood which can go up or down. Um, Blessed is a state, it's permanent. And when then, then he, he lays before us two paths, two ways, two worldviews. The way of the righteous, 
and the way of the wicked in verse 6. And he sets out these two paths in verses 1 and 2, and then he describes them using metaphorical language in verses 3 and 4. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. The ESV translation. First of all, the psalmist sets out the way of the blessed man by telling us what he does not do. He does not walk in the council or stand in the way or sit in the seat, stand in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of mockers. He describes the fellowship of the blessed man with specific people, or rather his his lack of fellowship with these people. And we see here that there's a downward progression in this. Firstly, he does not walk in the council. He does not accept the advice to take the wisdom from the wicked. The mind of the blessed man is not changed by the advice of the wicked. Next we see he does not stand in the way of sinners. That is just, he does not act like sinful people do or behave as they would seek to make him do. And finally, he does not sit in the seat of scoffers or mockers, which describes the idea of sitting, sitting in the gathering of the mockers, sitting in the gathering of the scoffers. The blessed man does not belong to that gathering or have any part to do with it. You see the downward spiral. It begins with thinking like the wicked, which then develops into actions, causing the person to act in a sinful way, and finally to actively promote this sinful or scoffing lifestyle, a lifestyle which is opposed to God. The blessed man, rather, keeps his minds and his actions and his associations away from these wicked sinners and and scoffers, which, of course, summarize the way of the wicked in verse 6. And this is the wisdom of the world, if you like, the way the world thinks apart from God as opposed to the wisdom of God. The blessed man will not accept this wisdom and fellowship as it's opposed to the way of the righteous in verse 2. So we see verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So here we have contrast set up by the psalmist. He now describes what the blessed man does do. He's, he delights in the law of God. Now, when you delight in something, you, you set your desire in it. When, when a child gets a new toy, it's just be utterly delighted with it. It comes with it everywhere where that child will go. It's its new best friend. It's inseparable from it. It's the idea of being delighted with it. So the blessed man here delights in the law of God. His satisfaction, his great pleasure is from the law of God. The law here um, is taken, could be taken in the narrow sense of actual commandments, but more likely it's taken in the broader sense of the whole revealed uh, counsel, the whole revealed will of God to his people, the whole Bible. Uh, for the psalmist, when he wrote this, this would have been the five, five books of Moses, first five books in the Bible. And his delight then is expressed in the fact that he meditates on this law day and night. The word for meditate here is a word which, which means to mutter or, or to grumble. The idea being that day and night he thinks over and over on the law of God. The law is constantly on his mind. 
And he constantly, he is seeking to understand it, repeating it over and over again to himself, trying to know what it says. And as he walks to work, he thinks it over in his head. As he takes a shower, he's trying to understand its implications for his life. The blessed man's wisdom and counsel then is found in God's truth and not in the counsel of the wicked. His mind is not dragged away by false wisdom, but is focused on the truth of Scripture, God's truth. So the man is blessed then because his path is in the way of delight in God's truth, not the world's lies. The big contrast. Psalm 1, you see, sits and it sits here and it tells us that we live in a world, a world of information. Information overload. We take it in all the time. When we turn on our television, when we listen to the radio, when we log on to the internet, we are bombarded with information, with ideas and philosophies that seek to have our allegiance, that seek to impart to us their wisdom, their counsel, their advice. And this counsel and this advice then affects the way we live. We can't escape it. It affects the way we think and the way we think others should live as well. Again, we remember that that downward spiral that the psalmist describes. Thinking results in doing, and this results in teaching others that same habit. You see, we live in a world of worldviews, a world of different ways of understanding the world around us, all seeking to inform us, to conform us. That is, as we take in information into our minds, they want to shape the way we live, the way we act in our life. Be it the naturalism, uh, the philosophy of naturalism that's propagated by the BBC or most school scientific textbooks, or the postmodern mindset of our culture, the philosophical soup mix that exists in multicultural Britain that tells us that every philosophy or every religion is true and equally valid. Psalm 1 speaks into this world and it declares that we live in a moral world. A world where there is right and there is wrong. A world where there is black and white, not gray confusion. Psalm 1 tells us that there is a right way to live and there is a wrong way to live. A right way to think and a wrong way to think. A right allegiance and a wrong allegiance. The two ways here are described for us. They're, they're polar opposites. There is no converging of these two roads. The blessed life is not found in the world's wisdom, but in living according, in accordance with the revealed will of God, living by Scripture. Like Moses in Deuteronomy 28 and 29, as the people, as he gave his last uh, speech or sermon before the people, placed before the people of God, before they would enter the promised land, two choices. The choice of blessing or cursing. The choice of life or of death. So before each of us, God's people in Christ, we face that same choice. Will it be blessing or will it be cursing? And our attitude to God's word will determine which of these we choose. 
You see, the blessed man must be like Joshua on the eve of, of going into the promised land at the other side of the Jordan. We must have the Word of God ever. He was told to have the Word of God ever before him if he desires to be prosperous and have good distress, good, good success. Joshua chapter 1. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to your fathers to give them. That's the promised land. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. You see, here, here is the real prosperity gospel. It's not that you can have good health and lots of money because that's what God wants for you. No. Rather, the, the real prosperity gospel is that if you desire to prosper, you must delight yourself in God's Word, study it, understand it, and apply it to your life. The real prosperity gospel is for the increase of your holiness and your happiness in God, not for the increase of the size of your bank balance or the transformation of your teeth into beautiful white glossy shiners like Joel Olstein, but for the transformation of your mind into the mind of Christ as we find him in Scripture. Real prosperity is to live in God's reality the way we should, the way we were designed to. You see, this is God's universe. He made it so he knows how it's meant to work. And the only way for us to know that way is to listen to what he tells us. We were created as creatures to be dependent on God. So we cannot trust our own wisdom to be able to guide us. That has been the mistake of Western rationalism for over 200 years, thinking that we know better than God does how this world should work. Rather, we must trust God and His wisdom from His Word. And the result of trusting Him and doing what He says will be the blessed life, the life that knows how to live properly and in harmony with God and with his created world. So then, verses 3 and 4, we find the result of the blessed man's actions then. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. The psalmist describes for us a picture of the blessed life by using this metaphor of a tree. The blessed man is like a tree planted by streams of water. Water here, I think, being the word of God. And its result is that the man is healthy, growing, it's growing, uh, and it, he's yielding his fruit in season. And its leaves do not wither. The tree's leaves will not wither when it comes to drought. See, this is a picture of, of harmony, of beauty, the picture of the prosperous life that is based on the word of God. Because this man has delighted himself in the law of the Lord and meditates on that word day and night. He is like this growing tree, strong, tall, 
A wonderful picture of life that is, really. And because of his constant drinking of this water of life, the word of, the word of God, this man brings forth fruit. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. See, this shows us that growth comes from the Word of God in our lives. The fullness of our Christian lives comes from the study and the meditation and the obedience to the Word of God. And then, when the drought comes, when hardship or adversity come, the leaf doesn't wither. It doesn't fall or stumble because it has that constant supply of water constant absorption of the Word of God into our minds and from our minds to our hearts. So the blessed man prospers in all he does because his delight is in the revealed will of God. Knowing that he can live in a way that pleases God and that is real prosperity. But then another contrast in verse 4, the wicked are not so but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Not so the wicked, they're like chaff. The blessed man is fruitful and strong in the drought, but the wicked are not like this. They are opposed to a tree. They are like chaff. Chaff is not fruitful. It's dead. Chaff blows away. The wind uh, blows away in the wind. Uh, it's light. has no weight to it. The tree stays strong, but the chaff blows away in the wind and is totally useless. The picture here seems to be that of, of uh, throwing grains of wheat or corn into the air. And as the wind would come in, it would separate the chaff away from the grains of corn or wheat. And then the, the chaff would blow away and the corn, which is useful, would, would drop down onto the threshing floor. This is the life of the wicked. No fruit. No strength, no wit, no purpose. When the wind comes, they have nothing to stand against it. And there's a real important point here. If there's any young Christians here, or indeed for all Christians, older ones as well, the importance of the Word of God in our life. For it's only when we absorb it, practice it, that we will stand firm in the ever-shifting circumstances of life that come to us. So often you find that with young Christians, often when they, they come against hardships, come against difficult times, they fall away when they've never been grounded firmly in the Word of God. Are we really absorbing and meditating and lapping up the Word of God? For when we do, we understand more of God, more of the world around us as we live in it, as we cope with its horrors as well as its wonders, and we're able to grow steadily as Christians. And finally, we see in verses 5 and 6, the final point, the destiny of the righteous and the wicked. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. See, the psalmist here has zoomed his lens right out. And he's now got a full panoramic image of these two paths, these two choices that have been made. And here he explains that the wicked who scoff at the people of God, who rebel against God, will not have a leg to stand on in judgment. Their case, their cause will not stand up when it comes to the judge. Nor will they 
who travel that path of any inheritance with the people of God, the congregation of the righteous. See, the choices have been made. The wicked have reaped the reward of their ways. There is a judgment. There is a consequence to our actions. And the life lived for only momentary gain is absolute foolishness. Because, to quote that very famous line from the movie Gladiator, what we do in life echoes in eternity. And for those who choose the path of the wicked, that echo will be an echo of judgment and of separation from the people of God. You see, Psalm 1 shows us that God's world is one in, in which where we live matters, or how we live matters. The spirit of our age tells us to seize the moment, forget about the future. If it feels right, just go and do it. That's how we can be happy. That's how we can prosper. But like the proverb says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Proverbs 14, 12. Those who choose the way of the wicked, those who listen and act on the world's wisdom will perish. Verse 6. Their cause will not be upheld when they stand before the great judge. They have made bad decisions based on the lies of the world. But the Lord knows the way of the righteous. The ESV says the Lord knows the way of the righteous. The word knows here means more than just mere knowledge. The NIV actually maybe captures it a bit better. Uh, The Lord watches over the way of the righteous. The Lord cares for and upholds the righteous. The way, their way will be vindicated at the judgment. The wicked may seem to prosper in the short term, but in reality their actions will be found out and their folly will be revealed. But the righteous, those who trust in Christ and obey Him, will be blessed in the end. Samus then places this, these two ways before us. And throughout Scripture, the Bible often uses these images of pairs to make this same point. We can either choose God's way or we can choose the way of the wicked. Like the two cities, Zion, the city of God, or Babylon, the city of idolatry. Or you can think of, of the light and the darkness. Two opposing ways, one ending in destruction, the other in life. What we read in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus taught the very same thing. Two gates, two houses, wise and foolish builder, two ways to live, either in accordance with God's truth or by the wisdom of the world. So do we listen to Jesus and what he teaches, seeking to put into practice those things? Or do we listen and learn from the world as it feels to take God into account at all? But friends, there's one problem in all this. None of us can ever live like this. The blessed man of Psalm 1 is in fact the perfect man. The one who always does what God says. The one who obeys perfectly and never follows the world and its wisdom. None of us can claim to have done the same. No one is righteous, says the scripture. So where does that leave us? Well, it's interesting that the man in verse 1 of Psalm 1 is in the, in the Hebrew, it's in the singular. 
He is the representative man, the perfect man. You see, Psalm 1 points us directly to the Lord Jesus. He is the blessed man who lived perfectly, never sat in the seat of scoffers or mockers. He never walked in the way of sinners. He was perfect so that in Him, and as we trust Him, we can become the righteous of verse 6. The people God knows, the people God watches over. Jesus stands at the doorway into the book of Psalms and points us directly to Himself. He shows us how to live, and He shows us how He lived for us and ultimately would die for us. So our response can only be one of gratitude and obedience to Him. This is the only way that we can possibly be the kind of people that Psalm 1 speaks of. Only in Christ can we be righteous. Only in Him can we hope to live the blessed life and experience the gracious goodness and love of God towards us. Only in Him are we clothed with righteousness, which is not our own. Because He became sin for us, that we might be the righteousness of God in Him. So two ways then are laid before us. We trust in Christ and His perfect life, seeking to obey Him and live for Him in this world. Or will we follow the way of the world, absorb its wisdom and live by it? Two paths, two choices, two ways to live. You choose. Let's pray.